Hello and welcome to a new series on Catacomb Synod Basics, where finally, after about a year, it's time to talk about what we at the Very Lutheran Project are about, what we believe, and what differentiates us from other Lutheran bodies. Now, of course, you may have heard that the Catacomb Synod is a loosely confederated network of house churches, but something has got to bind us all together. So we're going to go over the articles of the Augsburg Confession, probably the first five today, and talk about how that applies to us. But first, there's a reason why this is the very Lutheran project and why the Catacomb Synod is coded, so to speak, as Lutheran. In theory, somebody out there could go to verylutheran.biz, start himself a house church, and use my resources, and they could be Baptists, and I could do nothing about it. I can't. I don't have that kind of authority over them. I can't kick them out. That's fine. As much as I'd really prefer they be Lutheran, at least they're hearing Lutheran doctrine. But as for me, and as for any training that I give to deacons and to lay leaders, it's always coming at it from the Lutheran, that is the biblical, angle. And that means, first, before anything else, the formal and material principles of Holy Scripture. Our formal principle being sola scriptura, we get all of our doctrine and morals from the Bible. And everything, according to the material principle of Holy Scripture, is going to point to our Lord Jesus Christ. So, that is our first thing when it comes to being Lutheran. We hold to the Scripture, nothing but the Scripture. That is where we get all of our doctrine. But, the Bible does establish a teaching magisterium. It establishes a tradition. Is it on the same level as Scripture? No. Can it cancel out Scripture? Not at all. Can it add to Scripture? No. Not one little bit. But nonetheless, Holy Scripture, while it does judge the teacher, and the teacher should be tested by the word of Holy Scripture, especially by the laity, they should be willing to ask questions and object to what the pastors or deacons are saying, the Bible still establishes this office. From Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The purpose of 
the establishment of the teaching ministry is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build them up, to give them something solid, that is to give the word of God to them, to build the house upon the rock. The teacher, or he who is ordained to the proclamation and the instruction of the word of God, is to be the man who helps the church do this. What we Lutherans do to establish that teaching tradition, that magisterium, as it were, is we have a common confession, the Book of Concord, preferably the 1580. This way we have a solid book that defines what it means to be Lutheran. And as confessional Lutherans, we take a look at this book and we say, I agree with what this Book of Concord says because it is a true interpretation of God's Word. Does that mean that the Book of Concord is Bible? Is it infallible? No, not in the slightest, and it should never be treated that way. For instance, the Book of Concord in one place enumerates the sacraments as two, baptism and the Lord's Supper. In another place, it enumerates them as three, baptism, the Lord's Supper, and absolution, or confession and absolution. Well, great, that's a glaring contradiction. So, as a faithful Lutheran, I have the freedom to say, yeah, well, okay, it's two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and confession and absolution is sacramental, I guess. It has a sacramental aspect to it. I'm not going to try to just accept a contradiction and say, ah, yes, God's ways are mysterious in inspiring this text. No, it's written by fallible humans, and sometimes they flub. Martin Luther says the German word for God, Gott, comes from the root word for good. And he praises the German people for that, but uh, that's not correct in the history of German etymology. He just got it wrong. It's okay to say that. Another issue, and a controversial one at that, is Mary being called Semper Virgo in the Book of Concord. Always or forever virgin. All right, well, I know a ton of confessional Lutherans who do not believe that the Virgin Mary was always a virgin. And there have been attempts to say, oh, well, that's just an honorific title given to her. Well, no, Martin Luther and everybody that wrote in the Confessions, they all really truly did believe that she was Semper Virgo. They meant what they wrote, as a matter of fact. But they weren't teaching it as doctrine. And for the Catacomb Synod, at least, when it comes to a quia subscription to the Lutheran Confessions, we got to be careful to say what we mean by that. By quia subscription to the Book of Concord, what we mean is that everything that the Reformers are actually teaching regarding dogma in the Christian faith, they do so correctly, in accordance with the Word of God. Their interpretations of Holy Scripture are correct interpretations. That doesn't mean that they get every single word right, and there are contextual issues 
that aren't exactly applicable to us Lutherans here in the year of our Lord 2023. If Luther in one place in Concord writes, yeah, so you got to go to your earthly prince for X, Y, or Z matter. Well, sorry, Dr. Luther, I don't have an earthly prince over me. That doesn't mean I have to be a monarchist now so that I can have an earthly prince and thus obey the most holy inspired book of Concord. Luther is speaking about his day when monarchy was a thing. And we today have our own human governments that we appeal to as we are able. It's common sense, really. But I digress. Let's go ahead and jump into the Augsburg Confession. If you don't have a Book of Concord handy or something, you can go to thebookofconcord.org, which is run and established by Corey Mahler, good on him for making the website, and you can find the Augsburg Confession there. Let's just go ahead and read the first article. We unanimously hold and teach, in accordance with the decree of the Council of Nicaea, that there is one divine essence which is called and which is truly God, and that there are three persons in this one divine essence, equal in power and alike eternal, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All three are one divine essence, eternal, without division, without end, of infinite power, wisdom, and goodness, one creator and preserver of all things visible and invisible. The word person is to be understood as the fathers employed the term in this connection, not as a part or a property of another, but as that which exists of itself. Therefore, all the heresies which are contrary to this article are rejected. Among these are the heresy of the Manichaeans, who assert that there are two gods, one good and one evil, also that of the Valentinians, Arians, Eunomians, Mohammedans, and others like them, also that of the Samosatanes, old and new, who hold that there is only one person, and sophistically assert that the other two, the Word and the Holy Spirit, are not necessarily distinct persons, but that the Word signifies a physical word or voice, and that the Holy Spirit is a movement induced in creatures. Okay, big important thing to recognize here in the first article. Anybody can see this is the Lutheran reformers saying, we hold to the Trinity, as classically stated. We are Trinitarians, we are not abandoning the Christian faith. In historical context, they are reassuring the authorities who want that witness, all right? Are you guys going off the rail into heresy land? Well, we're not. But we need to understand when they say we unanimously hold and teach in accordance with the decree of the Council of Nicaea, that is not the Lutheran reformers rejecting sola scriptura or holding a tradition in the same level as Holy Scripture. Yes, Nicaea does define the Trinity, but Christians believed in the Trinity long before Nicaea. What the Reformers are doing here is they are holding to this council's doctrines the same way we subscribe to the Book of Concord. In fact, the Nicene Creed is part of the Book of Concord. The Lutheran Reformers are saying, 
This is part of the teaching magisterium of the church, established by God's word in scripture, and we agree with this dogmatic declaration, which is taken from holy scripture. We do the same thing when we subscribe to the Book of Concord, but the writers of the Book of Concord didn't have a Book of Concord to subscribe to, so they went to a lot of older church tradition to gather these things together. You'll notice that they also were not infallibilists when it came to Nicaea, because we hold to the Nicene Creed, but we don't hold to the Nicene Canons, which have some really ungodly stuff in there. Oh, a man gets promoted to bishop. Time to force him to divorce his wife. Sure, yeah, Jesus says what God puts together, let no man separate, but we need bishops that don't have wives, so we're going to make her go be a nun and they can't live together ever. Come on. Come on, Nicaea, you know better than that. So the dogma, the interpretation of scripture in Nicaea for the creed was accurate. Absolutely. It was true, so we believe it. The Nicene Creed is wonderful. But not everything in the canons and documents of Nicaea is. You'll also notice that they take pains to condemn and reject a bunch of the heresies that were against the Trinity. This is one of the benefits of having a lowercase t tradition that all house churches need. We don't want to be like the Restorationists in early America. We don't want another burned-over district where, because of geographic distance, difficulty in acquiring information, and so on and so forth, all these churches and the Congregationalists and the Adventists, and later on, unfortunately, the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, they had to DIY their theology, or at least they felt the need to do so. They fundamentally rejected the history of the teaching office of the church on account of the abuses of Rome and said, fine, it's time to be me and my Bible under a tree. They didn't value the tradition which helped us to avoid unbiblical anti-Christian heresies like the Eunomians, the uh, Arians, the Valentinians, etc. For the Catacomb Synod, this is one of our ways of avoiding that same mistake that American churches did in the 17 and 1800s. We want to hold to scripture rightly and we want to respect the men that God appointed to help us stay away from heresy that damns us, that murders our souls. So we subscribe to the Book of Concord with a quia subscription. Moving on, Article 2, Original Sin. It is also taught among us that since the fall of Adam, all men who are born according to the course of nature are conceived and born in sin. That is, all men are full of evil lust and inclinations from their mother's wombs and are unable by nature to have true fear of God and true faith in God. Moreover, this inborn sickness and hereditary sin is truly sin, and condemns to the eternal wrath of God all those who are not born again through baptism in the Holy Spirit. Rejected in this connection are the Pelagians and others who deny that original sin is sin, for they hold that natural man is made righteous by his own powers, thus disparaging the sufferings and merit of Christ. 
the Lutheran reformers, in holding to the biblical doctrine of original sin, understood that they were not perfect heroes rescuing the church from the clutches of Rome. No, they understood that they were sinners in need of a savior, and they wanted everybody to know that we are all in that boat. Original sin factors into that. So the catacomb synod agrees. We are not people who are perfect that were cast out by ugly and wicked evil churches. No, to the contrary, we must maintain a humble outlook. We too are sinners in need of a savior, and we understand that it is only by God's grace that we are where we are, providing the help that we can. Now, Article 3 of the Augsburg Confession is going to be the most important one for us to discuss today. It is also taught among us that God the Son became man, born of the Virgin Mary, and that the two natures, divine and human, are so inseparably united in one person that there is one Christ, true God and true man, who was truly born, suffered, was crucified, died, and was buried in order to be a sacrifice not only for original sin, but also for all other sins and to propitiate God's wrath. The same Christ also descended into hell, truly rose from the dead on the third day, ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God, that he may eternally rule and have dominion over all creatures, that through the Holy Spirit he may sanctify, purify, strengthen, and comfort all who believe in him, that he may bestow on them life and every grace and blessing, and that he may protect and defend them against the devil and against sin. The same Lord Christ will return openly to judge the living and the dead, as stated in the Apostles' Creed. Now, why is this the most important of these articles? You might notice that there's a little bracket and a little title for Article 3 saying, The Son of God. I believe it might have been better for them to say, The Gospel. Revelation 19 verse 10 teaches that the entirety of Holy Scripture is ultimately about our Lord Christ and the testimony thereof, the gospel. Article 3 of the Augsburg Confession is an excellent way to express the gospel. If somebody out there in the streets of Brooklyn finds a piece of paper and all they see on it is Article 3 of the Augsburg Confession, that alone is enough for them to go, oh man, I need to go to a church and find out more about this Jesus that offers these wonderful blessings. Now we need to understand that that's incredibly important also because gospel reductionism is a massive problem in Lutheran churches today. There are plenty of ministers misguided by the likes of Gerhard Ferda that believe that, okay, the law is just what makes me feel bad and the gospel is what makes me feel good. Functionally, these guys' sermons are basically all the same. You suck, but God loves you anyway. I'm going to take 10 minutes to say that as it touches on whatever scripture we read this Sunday, and then we will move on so you can go back to sinning on Monday. At the Catacomb Synod, we teach gospel precisionism. It is not the gospel if it is not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And no, sermons do not have to be 50% law, 50% gospel, and that's it. 
No, we preach according to the text, and we find where the law is and where the gospel is in the proportions given by the text, period. And we need to understand it is about precision because if you do not hold to the true gospel, if you are holding on to another gospel, even one that is reduced to, well, this makes me feel good after my conscience makes me feel bad, that's another gospel, and St. Paul says in Galatians 1, it is anathema. Moving on to Article 4 of the Augsburg Confession, it is also taught among us that we cannot obtain forgiveness of sin and righteousness before God by our own merits, works, or satisfactions, but that we receive forgiveness of sins and become righteous before God by grace, for Christ's sake, through faith. When we believe that Christ suffered for us and that for his sake our sin is forgiven and righteousness and eternal life are given to us. For God will regard and reckon this faith as righteousness, as Paul says in Romans 3, 21 through 26 and 4, verse 5. We are Lutherans. We hold to sola fide. A big reason for that is because Jesus is your Savior. If you are saved through faith plus works, then Jesus is not your Savior. He is co-Savior with you. You saved your soul by taking a part in this. So, yeah, Jesus is my Savior, but also my works. Is that what the Bible teaches? Absolutely not. The Bible teaches that Christ alone saves you. Even when it says, baptism now saves you in 1 Peter 3.21, that is, on account of Christ, his merits are applied to you in your baptism, at your regeneration. So, justification must be and is by faith alone. Now, we are pietists. I am, frankly, crassly a pietist. We love doing good works. We love emphasizing good works and the third use of the law. But that is for another conversation, particularly next week. Now, let's finish up with Article 5, the Office of the Ministry. To obtain such faith... God instituted the office of the ministry, that is, provided the gospel and the sacraments. Through these, as through means, he gives the Holy Spirit who works faith, when and where he pleases, in those who hear the gospel. And the gospel teaches that we have a gracious God, not by our own merits, but by the merit of Christ, when we believe this. Condemned are the Anabaptists and others who teach that the Holy Spirit comes to us through our own preparations, thoughts, and works without the external word of the gospel. We're going to finish here today because there is a very important distinction I want to make. The Catacomb Synod is not e-church. It is not online church. What we want is in-person house churches where deacons, preferably, hopefully, deacons can be the ones ordained to sacrament, that is, baptizing people and consecrating the elements in the Eucharist, and yours truly is ordained to word and sacrament. So here I am training people to consecrate the elements, to perform baptisms, and providing the word that the deacon will deliver to the congregation. It must happen in real life. When Christ says, 
do this in remembrance of me, yes, he means take and eat, take and drink, but also the salutary meal of the Eucharist. You do this the same way he did that. That is, together, in the same place. When we talk about hearing the word preached to you, to the laity, to anybody listening, I do provide the sermons and Bible studies, the teaching that is necessary, but they are delivered by the deacons and lay leaders who do so to help and assist in the church. It is not online church. We are not talking about an e-pastor role running e-church. No, I also have my own house church that I run and preach at as well. That is how the Catacomb Synod operates. It is still real church. Just because it doesn't happen in our modern day high places of pretty buildings with great wooden altars and giant crosses doesn't make it any less church than if it were in one of these places. Although ultimately one of our goals is to have brick and mortar churches so that we can get more people for evangelism's sake. But that is way down the line. Anyway, next week we are going to get into Article 6, where we get into the new obedience, and that might take us a while as we discuss and explain pietism. But until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.